where we talk about historical haunts that are criminal in nature. We're glad you didn't ghost us. Explore history, crime, and the paranormal. Welcome to the Haunted True Crime Podcast, where we talk about historical haunts that are criminal in nature. I'm Andrea, and these are my co-hosts, Nikki and Tay. I love how I gave myself like three paragraphs. <laughs> Not you my selfish intent. bitch. I mean, how trying, dare you? I must have been trying to order something later, and I don't know why the fuck it ended up like that. You're what welcome abs. to take one of mine if you want. No, it's all good. <laughs> Hey, I'm Nikki. Thanks for joining us, and we're glad you didn't ghost us. Uh, Tay here. Today we're going to be talking about the Jacob Crouch Farm murders. But before we get to that, we want to put out two brief warnings. This is a comedy podcast. We tell jokes, and you might not like them. We talk about ghosts, we talk about crime, we laugh, and while we try our darndest to be respectful, I make no promises that we won't (laughs) offend you. So consider yourself warned. We also tend to talk about murder and other gruesome topics, as well as ghosts and hauntings, so we definitely don't recommend listening to this podcast with little ears around. But enough about that. Let's get started. There was a storm brewing outside with high winds, heavy rain, and thunder as the clock crept just past midnight on November 22, 1883. Nestled in Spring Arbor Township, Michigan State, there was a modest but respectable farmhouse a few miles from the city with no doors locked. George Bowles, the 16-year-old farmhand who lived on the property, was awoken by thunder. As he peered out the window, he thought he saw a man with a lantern standing outside. Then he heard what he thought sounded like a blow. Then another, and finally a muffled scream. Frightened, Bowles climbed into a trunk and stayed there for the remainder of the night. When later describing the ordeal, Bowles said, quote, Heard the wind blow and heard sounds below as of doors were opening and shutting. I wakened by noises of pounding on the floor in the rooms below. I heard three blows and then somebody cried, oh, then another blow, then somebody said, oh, again, and I was scared. Bulls normally woke up at 5 a.m. to make the fire, so he crawled out of the trunk and headed downstairs, but when he arrived, he saw a grisly scene. Four were dead. Jacob Crouch, the 74-year-old owner of the farm, had been shot in the head. He was lying on his left side facing the wall, and you could see the shot two inches behind his ear. Jacob's daughter, Eunice White, who was pregnant at the time, was shot six times. Judging by the position of her arms and disordered clothing, she had been struggling with her murderer. She was shot twice in her right arm, once in her left, once through her right breast, which entered her lungs, one through her chin and neck, and the last one through her left wrist. She was murdered and left lying next to her husband, Henry White, with her tongue bitten between her teeth. Henry had a bullet hole, sorry, Henry had a bullet hole through the right side of his neck, three inches down from his ear, which severed his artery, and a second shot entered the temple on his right side. He was discovered lying on his back as if he were peacefully sleeping with bullet holes in him, apparently. (laughs) So not really sure if that's all that peaceful. Yeah. 
The final victim was guest Moses Pauly, a Pennsylvania cattle buyer. He was not hot. (laughs) He was hot twice. (laughs) Like Zac Efron? (laughs) He looked kind of like Zac Efron. No, just kidding. I don't think he did. (laughs) He was shot twice. Once through the right ear, passing directly through the brain, and the other passing through the chest from the right side. In his case, there was no indication of struggle. Just going to interrupt here as a side note. Oh, what, what? <laughs> um, a side note to- <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I knew you'd like that because that's your favorite phrase. <laughs> we need some like special side note music. <laughs> when I was researching Eunice White, I just wanted to say that it was there was a lot of contradicting information where some articles I read said she was shot five times oh, okay. and others where she was shot six. So if you've read something else that she was shot five, you know it's possible, it, it's she, possible. Was, she was We're shot unsure. lots she was shot a lot yes <laughs> she was definitely dead yes at the end of it um bulls arrived at the holcomb farm around 7 30 a.m nettie the holcomb's housekeeper gave testimony under oath to what happened next she said judd did not say anything when he had been told and she said Quote, I told Mr. Holcomb, but he made no remark that I can think of. He did not say anything to Mrs. Holcomb. I told her, and that was the first she had heard of it. Uh, And then Sheriff Eugene D. Winnie was summoned. And just so you guys know, Mrs. Holcomb is Susan. um, Oh, I can't believe I didn't say uh, that already. Jacob Crouch's uh, oldest daughter. And then Mr. Holcomb is her husband. Yes. Andrea is going to go over that in one second, but that is very true. Beautiful. And Judd is also his son. Oh, did we mention Judd before? Yeah. Not yet. Oh, Judd yeah. was the first person. My so bad. when, when Greg, Greg, is it Gregory, Jeff, Gregory, George, George, <laughs> <laughs> we got the G. <laughs> I got the G. When George arrived, he talked to Judd first and then Daniel was told, and then Mrs. Holcomb was told, but Miss Holcomb, Mrs. Susan, <laughs> fuck, Susan was told by Nettie, their housekeeper, not by her husband or her brother slash son. <laughs> We're yeah. going to get into this. It's really weird. Or um, George. Jacob Crouch was 74 years old, born in Orange County, New York. He landed in Michigan in 1830. Also, do we know that Orange County, New York is actually a place? Because I've literally never heard of it. Uh, I know there is Orange County, New Jersey, I believe. it says New York. Orange County, New York. Hmm. There's just too many counties and everything throughout the states that I'm just unfamiliar with. Maybe It's by Poughkeepsie? Not good with geography. Oh, I've been through Poughkeepsie on the train. Have you? Yeah. What did you do on the train? Um, No, like I was on the train, like traveling... Uh, to New York from Montreal, like not oh. working, but I did when I worked on the train, I was like an onboard dining room server. Right. You, it was a passenger train, right? Yeah. And okay. that we did travel through like upstate New York and stuff too. That's kind of cool. It's like a flight attendant, but no flights. Yeah. That's kind pretty of. cool. Yeah. It was kind of, it was super intense though, because like I lived on that train. Oh so yeah. It's your life. And you're like, yeah, well, I'm not going to get involved with these people on here and whatever. And then the next thing you know, like, everyone's sleeping together. Greg is having a baby (laughs) and it's actually Margaret's baby. Everybody's crying and (laughs) screaming and fighting. He married Anna Bush of Sharon Township. 
Washtenaw County, Michigan, on March 25th, 1838. Anna and Jacob had six children. Susan M. Crouch, born in 1839. Ethel Crouch, born in 1840. Ethel died on October 2nd, 1844, at the age of four. Byron Crouch was born October 15th, 1842. Dayton J. Crouch was born November 24th, 1846. Eunice Crouch, born May 15, 1850, who died alongside her father. Judson Crouch, who was born December 26, 1859. He married Vi- Viola Morell in 1888 and died in 1946 in Jackson, Missouri. I have no idea why I thought his marriage was relevant information. <laughs> I'm surprised he got That's married. A background on him, you know? <laughs> I mean, we do talk about him a little bit later. Considering there wasn't really much of a bio on any of the other children. Anna died six days after the birth of her son, Judd, in Jackson, Michigan. In response to Anna's death, Judd was raised by his sister, Susan, and her husband, Daniel Holcomb. Holcomb? Holcomb? Holcomb. I don't know. Holcomb? I don't know. I kind of want to say honeycomb. (laughs) Mr. Honeycomb? (laughs) How do you plead? Just being comb. I don't know. Judd was raised by his sister Susan and her husband Daniel Holcomb on their nearby farm. He thought Susan and Daniel were his parents until he was 10 years old. That is not a good surprise. That's very, like, sad. Wouldn't that fuck you up? Like, oh, hell yeah. Seriously. You find out that your and parents then are actually, one of them is actually your sister. He continues to live there. Like, at the times of the murder, Judd is still living with Susan and Daniel. I don't know how old he is, though. He's born in 59. So he's a teenager still. No. What are we, 83? 83. Yeah, okay, so he would have been 24-ish, yeah. This is a young adult. Mm -hmm. But old at that time. That's true. But he's still living with his sister and her husband. And he got married? But he doesn't get married until 88. And we're in 83, I think. Right? The murders correct. 83? 83? Yeah. November 22nd, 1883. Yes. Oh, yeah, because this year's 2018 is the 75th year, right? No. I think so. Or 125th? It's the 5th. 130 something? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I don't know. <laughs> I put it in there somewhere. 137th, maybe? I don't remember. It's in here somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Against their, father, against their father's wishes, Dayton and Byron, who were Civil War veterans, moved to Texas to raise sheep. Dayton died mysteriously in 1882. We read that he was shot or died of typhoid or smallpox. Well. <laughs> like three very different things. He either was shot, he died of typhoid, or he died of well, smallpox. Well, maybe he had typhoid so or... Either it was natural causes or he was murdered. But maybe, don't know. maybe he had typhoid or smallpox and somebody shot him and put him out of his mid- misery. the same thing. Maybe. Byron died unmarried in Texas later. Eunice White was 32 years old when she died. Eunice was Jacob's undisputed favorite child. She graduated from St. Mary's College at Notre Dame. Which is impressive for a lady in the 1880s, right? I think so. The fact that she even went to college. Yeah. (laughs) And graduated. It's probably because he was rich. That's true. He had money. So went. And she was his favorite. Yeah. So. 
they had money, then their women, the women I were. I also educated, think it's kind of sad that she was like his undisputed favorite child. Yeah. How do the rest of them feel? Right. Dad yeah. loves me, but less than Eunice. <laughs> It's like saying to my brother, yo, Ty, don't worry. I'm mom's favorite because you were a mistake. Yeah. But it's she cool. I still love you. Really mean to have you. And so I'm her favorite. But also she still loves you. Yeah, so do of. I. I mean, you're still a family, but mm. just don't expect to get anything. Mm. <laughs> you're not going to get any of the inheritance. That's for sure. Just kidding. Ty, if you're listening to this. Not true, not true, but totally true. Hundred percent true. Hundo <laughs> p true. The mistake part—that's true, but not the other stuff. <laughs> so you were supposed to be an only child, correct? <laughs> that's kind Damn of hilarious. You. Uh, she married Henry White on October twelfth, eighteen eighty-one. Henry's brother was George J. White. He was a prominent Jackson physician who sold patent me- medicines. There we go medicines through one of the city's largest pharmacies henry and eunice were married for just two years when they died and they were living with jacob so eunice could care for her aging father henry was 38 when he died and eunice was eight or nine months pregnant there was legitimately like no other information on henry no like nothing there was nothing except for that he had a brother there was more information on his brother than there was on henry yeah, I think Henry was the less loved child. Yes. The two had their funerals together on November 24th, 1883. It was a very popular service, and there were no seats empty in the church, and thousands more crowded uh, the streets. The final victim was a Mr. Moses Melicontin Polly. He was a cattle drover from Pennsylvania, and the son of Benjamin Franklin Polly and Elizabeth A. Def- defenderer. <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> Fuck. We're going to call her Elizabeth A.D. She got married. Her last name was then Polly. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's a big assumption, but not really for the 1880s. So I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. He was very young. He was born on June 27th, 1860, and was about 23 when he died. I know... There was like conflicting ages on this, but if he was born in 1860, he was 23 when he died. Yeah. That's kind of how it usually works. This is true. Cause I, think um, I read like 26 somewhere and then I also read like 28. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Uh, 24 as well. Yeah. Uh, so Penny, he was born in 1860. He was 23. Um, he was the husband of Minerva, Minnie, Alti Anson. They had been married for three years um, and he was actually apparently buried in the Crouch Cemetery, which I thought is really weird. Um, and he said that, uh, and it was said that he was either visiting to purchase cattle or giving Jacob money from a sheep sale in Texas that we're going to bring up in a little bit here. Before the sheriff could arrive, neighbors had burst through the door of the Crouch home, startling Julia Reese, the servant girl who was in the kitchen preparing breakfast and oblivious to what had happened. She had heard no noise during the night, and her bedroom was a small room at the back of the house. That sounds a bit suspicious. I was just going to say that sounds (laughs) super suspicious to me. Not because, okay, I mean, in one aspect, maybe she just never went into the living room or wherever, whatever the front room was. But as if she didn't hear a commotion, A, and B, well, 
I did see a like a map or whatever or yeah. a floor plan of the yeah. house, and her room was way back there. So maybe she didn't then. It was literally at the very back, and all the murders took place at the front of the house. I'm also surprised though that nobody found her and killed her. Maybe because the room was so small, they didn't. Well, know but she if was... she wasn't a target and she didn't wake up or anything, like they didn't, didn't go yeah. for bulls either. Who was upstairs? He was hiding in his yeah. defense. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, not well. Yeah, <laughs> in a trunk, but he was hiding. I don't know. I just, it does seem a little weird, but I mean, maybe she woke up and she didn't. I mean. I can't imagine not checking all my rooms, but also my apartment is 600 square feet. So it's not like I can't check all the spaces when I wake up. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to walk from the bedroom to the living room, to the bathroom. I'm the only room I'm missing is my office, which I guess I don't check every morning. There could literally be a dead person lying in there in the morning. I don't know how they would have got in there, but Mm -hmm. oops. The landlord. Leave my dead bodies in the other room. The funeral for Jacob Crouch was November 25th, 1883. At 10.30 a.m., a photographer arrived and photographed the neatly dressed Crouch sitting in a chair. His face was lifelike and not paler than many living. Mm-hmm. Although, I haven't seen the photo, but it seems like you two dispute this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all in the eyes. Super creepy. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, this was the first picture ever taken ever taken of him as he declined to humor quote any such foolishness when he was alive the funeral procession was the longest ever seen in the in the (laughs) country it's in the county definitely not the country i know this guy was so popular sounded really bad what i was about to say the funeral procession was the longest ever seen in the county when the hearse reached the public cemetery at the Reynolds Schoolhouse, where there were groups still leaving the house, his body was placed beside that of his deceased wife, Anna, who had been there for 24 years. Ten days after Jacob's burial on Wednesday, December 5th, Coroner Casey ordered Jacob's body to be exhumed and the stomach dissected. Casey was originally going to exhume the remains of Henry White, but decided to only disinter Jacob. For the his- record, disinter means... Exhumed. <laughs> and I did Google that because I was like, is that the actual word for it or is it not? It is. His body was exhumed on December 6th. Casey was looking to procure the contents of Jacob's stomach to confirm that no drugs of any kind had been used and confirm he did. Jacob's stomach contents contained no drugs according to Casey's autopsy findings. Sheriff Eugene D. Winnie of Jackson County called a local... Ann Arbor photographer to photograph Eunice White's eyes to see if the image of the killer was still reflected in them. Because that's totally legit. (laughs) Totally. Um, I mean, that is how it works. Didn't you know that? (laughs) I also uh, read, too, that um, they had taken one, if not both, eyes, like, removed them out of her body um, to see if they had the picture image. or the image reflected in them. I don't know if that's legit or not, but <laughs> yeah, I read both too. Yeah. So conflicting stories. We don't know which is true, but I'm assuming at least one of them did happen. Probably the photographer one, <laughs> maybe someone in their blog was just trying to make it sound a little more morbid than it was, or we just didn't read 
that article that actually stated it. Um, anyways, unfortunately, the photographer said too much time had passed for it to work. A separate account of this. Oh, <laughs> I didn't read that. I didn't, I didn't that. have the heart to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> well, I'll read it anyways. See what sounds better. A separate account of this claimed that an optographer uh, apparently had more faith in the method, actually had at least one of Eunice's eyes removed in hopes of finding the face of her killer photochemically affixed to the retina. Could be legit. Don't know which one, but at least one of them happened. After those methods of detection failed, Jackson County offered a $10,000 reward and a white relative. I like how they had to specify it was a white relative. <laughs> no, no, a relative of the whites. That's oh, but it looks really bad. It does look really bad. It looks terrible, but their last name was White. I forgot that their last name was White. Oh my God. That would be very funny if they felt the need to specify that the relatives were white. <laughs> well, the way it's written is like a white relative. When it should say maybe a relative of, relative of the white. Well, it was written as like it. It is a white. Re- it would be the same as saying a crouch relative. Yeah, no, I get that. But the way <laughs> it sounds like you it get, does like, sound bad. That but their last a- name was white. It sounds like they're <laughs> saying that a white relative is in a Caucasian <laughs> relative. Oh, I know that. <laughs> it's just really funny. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's okay. We'll leave all that in there so people understand. <laughs> That I had a blonde moment, mm. but it did sound no, bad. that they are relatives yeah. of the whites. <laughs> so a relative of the whites yes. added another $2,000 on top for a total of $12,000. For those of you curious, that is $277,000 or $277,682,000 in 2017 for a dollar value. That is a lot of money. Yeah. For any information leading to the capture of the killer or killers. There were also rumors that chloroform was used. This I dispute because I wasn't even there. Me, the lead investigator. (laughs) Um, Eunice... Was like shot 16 times. Not really. She was shot like five or six times. And they said her clothes are all over the place. Like she was not chloroformed before she She was was murdered. Maybe the other ones, but I don't think Eunice was. Maybe they did it in the, it didn't get into the bedroom where she was staying. And it was more so in the main area, like where the parlor or wherever was. Were they in different rooms? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Eunice and Henry were in a bedroom. Okay. And then I think it was. Uh, Moses um, Polly pa- what's Polly. his last name yeah um, he was like I in the parlor or did. something like sl- chilling crashing on the couch and then <laughs> so he's a couch surfer yeah okay. and then Jacob was off in like sort his of a bedroom. bedroom but it didn't look like it was actually like an enclosed bedroom it was kind of open a bit so maybe an office room. space or something maybe, maybe they were up maybe the two of them were up well they were in separate uh, rooms yeah, okay. they just weren't completely closed off so anyways, but Eunice and Henry were for sure in a bedroom. I do also have to note, maybe he was in a room that wasn't closed because he was sick. Because mm-hmm. the reason why Susan, oh, to sorry, not Susan, um, 
Eunice. Eunice and Henry were living there was to take care of Jacob in yeah. his old age. So perhaps he had an open bedroom because he was sick. Yeah. Easier to go in and give him medication or. If he yeah. Or whatever. For sure. All right. So Mr. and Mrs. Hatch, two of the first to arrive at the house, said that the room smelled strongly of chloroform. And these guys were neighbors that yeah. ran into George on when he was going to inform mm-hmm. um, the Holcombs. Yes. And that's how they ended up there. <laughs> there were also tracks plainly defined that were found at the southwest corner of the house, which indicated that someone stood on guard for some time. The county also reached out to the famous Pinkerton Detective Agency for help. So, for those of you that don't know, here's a super quick bio on the Pinkerton Detective Agency. Uh, It was started in 1850 by a one Alan Pinkerton. The Pinkerton Agency rose to popularity and fame when in 1861 they allegedly uncovered an assassination plot against Abraham Lincoln while investigating a railway case, which was their original specialty. They were a, a detective agency that investigated railway cases, so stuff that, you know, train robberies... Whatever. According to them, uh, conspirators intended to kill Lincoln in Baltimore during a stop on his way to his inauguration. So after he was elected. However, with the Pinkerton's warning, Lincoln's rate was changed. Then later during the Civil War, he hired the Pinkertons to organize a, quote, secret service uh, to obtain military information on the Confederates as well as to act as personal bodyguards from time to time. So that is... Um, also where the Secret Service comes from. They were originally Pinkerton detectives. So once the Pinkertons were employed and the news had spread, dozens of amateur detectives descended on Jackson. Amongst these were Daniel Holcomb's brother, Henry, who disguised himself so he could hang out in the seedier parts of Jackson (laughs) to get information. And Galen E. Brown, a former policeman from Battle Creek and current amateur detective, also ended up in town. He was shot in the chest while walking from the Crouch home to Horton. He survived the ordeal and said that Jacob, or sorry, and said that he didn't say that Jacob was the shooter. (laughs) He said that Judd was the shooter, Uh, though admittedly this was never proven. In 1886, three bloodied shirts were found buried in the stump of a tree on the Holcomb property, but were never proven to belong to the killers. But a neighbor to both the Holcombs and the Crouches, um, the neighbor that lived between them, there was one neighbor between them, uh, Jacob Hudgens said that he saw tracks made by a, quote, cloven foot like Judd's. The tracks allegedly went back quite a ways and were near the fence going towards the Crouches' residence. And coming from the direction of the road, the right track was much deeper and the left track much larger, which definitely could have been made by someone like Judd. So he had a cloven foot. Side note. Yeah. He had a deformed foot. Is it just bigger? Club foot or whatever. Oh, club foot. It was like smaller. Curled a bit. So it's smaller and you'd make a different, you'd walk a lot differently. Mm. There were some photos in some of the. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to see photos of that. What, well, it wasn't a photo, I think. Of it was a foot. It was just, yeah. A foot. Like a diagram. But seeing an actual photo of it, I don't think I'd want to because it just looked a little bit weird. I know someone that was born with a club foot. Really? Yeah, but had it fixed. How do you oh. fix a club foot? Mm. <laughs> 
I have no idea. Break all them bones and straighten it out. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Like, it could have been, like, partially clubbed or... Oh, fair okay. enough. Yeah, yeah. But then back in 1883 or 1860, when Judd was born, it might not have been a thing to actually be able to fix. Otherwise, I'm sure his father would have paid for it because he was rich. Well, I don't know if his father would have paid for it. He kind of pawned him off on one of his daughters. That's true. It's like, my wife's dead. I can't I got the impression that he didn't appreciate or like Judd or Susan for that matter or any of his children that wasn't named Eunice but I anyway like did, I I don't know if this is coming up uh in the next few pages but um I also read that he had in his like will or whatever he was planning to leave his yeah. estate to Eunice and Byron I think it was oh I didn't say who well, I didn't write into the script who but he was leaving it to, but he was essentially trying to cut out Susan, Daniel, and Judd. And, well, Dayton was already dead, so... Yeah, Dayton had no um, fact. But, no, he was... I read that he was going to leave his entire estate to Eunice and to Byron. Oh, which then debunks the later theory that Byron is one of the killers. Anyways, <laughs> um, my last line. <laughs> the Sorry. sheriff believed that they were all shot by one person from the same revolver and the cartridges that were found on the floor were all the same. November 2018 will mark the 134th anniversary of the murders and no one has ever been convicted of the crime. But there have been a number of suspects. Daniel Judd and a farmhand, James Foy, were all suspected of committing the murders so they could control Jacob's wealth. However, it is also possible that the murders were orchestrated by another son of Jacob's, Captain Byron L. Crouch, who lived in Texas at the time. Julia Reese and George Bowles also had charges filed against them regarding the murder. As we shared in the beginning of our story, there were two other residents of the Crouch Farm that made it through the incident unscathed. African-American farmhand George Bowles and servant Julia Reese. Bowles hid in a trunk during the incident and stayed in there until sunrise when he found the bodies. He immediately ran the two miles to the Holcomb Farm, to the Holcomb, <laughs> Holcomb Farm, where Susan Daniel and Jacob's youngest son, Judd, lived. As he ran to the Holcomb farm, Reese woke to no fire in the kitchen stove, a task that Bowles took care of, and still unaware of the bodies in the house, she was startled by a neighbor's arrival to the farm. The neighbor had been alerted to the bodies when he passed an alarm Bowles on his way to the Holcombs. Because they were the only two left alive in the house, Reese and Bowles were jailed for the murders. Daniel Holcomb filed charges against Bowles and Reese who were held in jail in Jackson for about a month before being released. They were soon released for lack of evidence. Though they were cleared of any charges, both son Judd and son-in-law Daniel were suspects. Some accounts say that Jacob was a millionaire at the time of his death with over 1,000 acres of land, a valuable herd of cattle and property and livestock in Texas. Sheep farm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it said livestock. Maybe he had more than just a sheep farm. We don't really know. Maybe. Uh, Jacob also owned a large sheep ranch in Texas, and it was rumored that he had just received $50,000, the equivalent of $1.1 million in today's currency, for sales made on the ranch. However, no money from the sale was ever deposited, and it was said that Polly may have been stopping by to see Jacob with a lot of money, and so perhaps that's why he was there. Uh, so maybe he was delivering Jacob's payment. One theory says that the murderers took the money and it also said that the farm was ransacked the day after the murders. In addition to his great riches, rumor was 
that Jacob was cutting Judd, Susan, and Daniel Holcomb out of his will. So it was suspected that they murdered Jacob to control his large fortune. Um, Many believe that Judge actually instigated the murders, fearful that his sister Eunice was about to be the sole inheritor of Jacob's farm and fortune, and felt that Holcomb... um, Oh, sorry, and those same people felt that Holcomb was only an accomplice... an accomplice, while others suspected that the murder took place at the hands of Holcomb himself. Um, with that said, Daniel was the only one tried for murder, and his trial started that we could find, although there was some conflicting test or er, research on this. Well, the ones that we had were the only ones we have dates for, which tells me that he was probably the only one that was actually charged was Daniel. So his trial started a year later after the murders, or sorry, a year after the murders on November 8th, 1884. But on January 10th, 1885, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty after deliberating for an hour. So some intense deliberations there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Judd was never brought to trial. Um, trial. He was charged, but the charges were dismissed. Um, oh, here we go. We should note that we found some conflicting evidence that Judd was tried and acquitted alongside Daniel. But it appears that most sources agree that he was never charged. Oddly enough, friends and family members connected to the murder died under strange and mysterious circumstances. For example, Susan Holcomb, formerly Crouch, died January 2nd, 1884, from what appeared to be rat poison. The theory was that she killed herself because she didn't want to testify against her husband, who was arrested for the murder. However, the coroner couldn't prove anything more than her heart had given out on her. A former Jackson machinist, Joseph Allen, was arrested in Hamilton, Ontario. Woo woo, Canada! (laughs) And charged with the murders on the testimony of Henry Holcomb. Allen had mortgages, deeds, land patents, and a letter of all which belonged to Jacob. However, the charges were dismissed May 6, 1884, when Allen said the papers had been given to him by Henry. I love that they just took... Alan's word for it. Yeah. <laughs> He's telling the whoa, truth. Whoa, 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 whoa. Those papers were given to me by Henry. Oh, I, so I'm sorry. sorry. So, so sorry, <laughs> sir. We'll just, we'll just give you these papers back. It's not a big deal. No, no harm, no foul, right? <laughs> Am I right? I'm going to get out of here and go have a drink. Just a side note. Uh, Henry Holcomb was Daniel Holcomb's brother. Drunken Taylor thought that that was... <laughs> <laughs> Henry White. Yeah, Henry who White. Was dead. Which would have been super weird. Yeah. (laughs) Some people felt that gypsies may have robbed the home because Polly was known for bragging about how much money he was carrying around. And it was possible they followed him from the train to the farm. Others believed it might have been the revenge of a farmhand Crouch had fired. Finally, there was a theory that Byron had hired a band of Texas cowboys to kill his father to resolve a family dispute over inheritance. Apparently, Byron was hard to track down. And the following quote from a news article dated Tuesday, November 27th, 1883 said, Captain Byron L. Crouch has at last been heard from. The personal telegrams did not reach him as he was at San Antonio, 50 miles from his ranch, and the first intimation he had of the terrible taking off of his family and the desolation of his old home was from the telegraphic dispatches in the newspapers. He hastened to telegraph from San Antonio to ascertain if the horrible tale was true and was promptly answered and is on his way home. In any case, the list of suspects was long. Eventually, local constables decided to wrap up the case and mark it unsolved. A few other interesting things to note. Susan Holcomb, who died in the January after her sister and father were murdered, is buried 
in the Crouch Reynolds Cemetery in Spring Arbor Township, along with her parents, Jacob and Anna Crouch. After his wife's death and his acquittal, Daniel Holcomb married Amanda Crouch. A little bit creepy. <laughs> Who is Amanda, by the way? Is that just another I don't, Crouch relative? I have no idea. I couldn't find anything on I Amanda that Crouch. I was like, who is she? Maybe she was a cousin. I did not make her up, know. but I couldn't find anything. He on wanted her. them crouch women, apparently. He was into them. But, like, we don't know that she was related. I feel like she was she related. Probably was. <laughs> I feel like, let's be honest, related. she was related. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, moved with her to Baraboo, Wisconsin. He was buried there. Alongside with her, I guess I yeah. should probably put. Judd did end up inheriting his father's farm that was estimated to be worth $50,000, uh, $1.1 $1. $1 in today's uh, money conversion. Currency. Currency. Value, uh, I guess. It wouldn't be currency, yeah. it'd be value. Sorry. Today's value, yes. He later lost it all to the bank. What the original idiot. house burned down <laughs> in 1947 in a suspected arson fire. But Judd had lost the house m- much that. before yeah. that. In fact, it didn't sound like he had all that cash for a long time, and he just kind of lost it. Yeah. He was a poor money manager. Mm-hmm. All right. So we managed to find a handful of very short gorse. Gorse? <laughs> we managed to find a handful of short tales of ghost stories, though unfortunately none are of a firsthand nature. Rumor has it that every November 21st or 2nd, the sources couldn't all agree... <laughs> The spirit of Eunice rises from her grave in St. John's Cemetery and meets up with Jacob's spirit in the wee hours of the morn at his grave in Reynolds Cemetery in Spring Arbor Township. Thrill seekers who have visited the area in hopes of interrupting a little ghastly rendezvous claim to have seen the spirits of both Jacob and Eunice together in the cemetery, though it's not confirmed if this occurs during their monthly meetup. (laughs) They also claim to hear a faint sound of crying. Other visitors have described a ghostly mist floating above the gravestones until it meets the marker of Jacob, where it promptly disappears into the plot. And finally, Eunice does a little solo work and is said to be witnessed drifting along the roads south to Spring Arbor. If you're up for a little ghostly rendezvous and are interested in joining Eunice and Jacob in their yearly tete-a-tete, we would like to formally provide you with the unofficial list of the top five things to do in the area, a.k.a. Taze list of <laughs> things that I picked that I thought were kind of cool. Cascade Falls has a 4.5 out of 5 on TripAdvisor and is described as, quote, The Cascades, also known as Cascade Falls, (laughs) has stood as a symbol of Jackson for over 85 years. The colors in its cascading waterfalls, as unique as the city's personality, unquote. It is basically a water piece with lights in it. (laughs) Looks cool. So the next on our list is Jackson Historic Prison Tours, because what's more fun than prison tours? (laughs) This one has a four and a half out of five. And according to its website, Michigan's first state prison is now Armory Arts Village, a community of galleries, workspaces, and apartments. I can think of nothing better to do with an old prison. <laughs> Turn it into an apartment building. I Sign me up. 
We're moving in. While this historic site has transformed into a vibrant neighborhood, historic prison tours offer a first-hand look at the former prison's amazing architecture and eerie basement salt and eerie basement solitary confinement. <laughs> AKA that's where the solitary confinement is held. <clears throat> You'll hear stories about notorious escapes and plate throwing riots that resulted from overcrowding and difficult living conditions. <laughs> <sighs> With a 5 out of 5 on TripAdvisor, it seems silly not to visit the madhouse. Its website is not currently working, <laughs> but Wikipedia describes it <laughs> as, quote, the madhouse is a historic home in Concord, Michigan. It is a Michigan State Historic Site and is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. It has been operated as a museum since 1970, a.k.a. super historic. The Jackson Candy and Fudge Factory is the obvious place to visit. Fuck yeah. This is my like number one choice. I don't know how it ended up as number four. Drunk Tay didn't agree. <laughs> Drunk Tay didn't want any sweets. <laughs> Drunk Tay wanted too many sweets. That's why I ended up as oh. number four. <laughs> she was like, ooh, we should probably put this later down on the list. Naturally, it has a five out of five rating. And it's a place that sells... Quote, the finest chocolates, mouth-watering fudges, old-fashioned candies, lip-smacking caramel corn, and frosted cinnamon nuts. Unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Our minds are not in the gutter. Uh, So basically, we're packing right now to go to this. I am. I'm already packed. (laughs) I'm out. I got them cinnamon nuts. Lastly, we have seen the Jackson Antique Mall, which has... Hey, I'd go to the Antique Mall. <laughs> I, I include this for your dad. Aww. I thought it would. Aww. I thought he would enjoy it. Not he that would, he listens. If he could actually listen. And if he knew what a podcast knew, knew how was. how to download a podcast. <laughs> Lastly, we have the Jackson Antique Mall, which has a four and a half out of five and literally the worst website we've ever seen. Uh, 100% true. Hundo P. Drunk Tay saw it. She was not <laughs> impressed. <laughs> Established in 1988 in an 1860s historic building in the central business district of downtown Jackson, Michigan, the Jackson Antique Mall, Inc. is one of Mid-Michigan's <laughs> incorporated. I like how it's incorporated. I enjoy that. Is one of Mid-Michigan's largest collectible and antique malls representing quality dealers. Boz? Bows? <laughs> it's not bows, like bows, but... Boz, co-owner, <laughs> worked diligently to restore and refurbish the Civil War era building. Very cool. And that... What? Bravo. Yes, he did. He boss did great work on it. Bose, whatever the fuck his name is. He did some real cool work. And that, my dear, dear friends, is a story of the Jacob Crouch farm murders, which I literally every time I see it want to call it the couch murder farm (laughs) or the farm murder, whatever. If you have a haunted true crime case that you think we should cover or ghost stories to share about your experience rendezvousing with Jacob and Eunice or any other story for that matter, send them our way via email at the stories of the haunted podcast.com. 
You can find us online at thehauntedpodcast.com on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and all of your favorite podcasting apps. So look us up, follow us, stay tuned for and hit that news. subscribe button. Yes, hit the subscribe button. There do we that. Go. <laughs> yep. You know you wanna. Yes, you do. <laughs> If you love the show, help us out by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. This helps other people find us and spread the word. To help properly incentivize you, when we get to 100 reviews, we will throw you out a bonus episode. So review away and spread the word. Thanks for joining us today. We look forward to catching up with you in our next episode. In the meantime, try not to ghost anyone. Hey guys, I know you missed us. In case you are wondering, we are not sponsored by anyone. We are not sponsored by Booking.com, Expedia, Travel, whatever website. TripAdvisor, is that the one we use? Oh yeah. We simply use things uh, that we find on the internet. So just wanted to give a little disclaimer at the end of the podcast. Probably not listening to it and that's totally fine. I think our asses are still covered then. But we find all of ourselves, uh, we free source it on the internet, and that is that. So we do not express any opinion of anyone else, uh, just kind of our own, because we feel like it. Sorry. Catch you later. wasn't it no that was good after the meth failed what methods of detection yeah i was just gonna say that fucking wrote this too they're mystery romance so yeah there is like detectives and police stuff involved in all of them and murders and fucking correct <laughs> gotta have a little bit correct. of romance she said gotta have a little bit of romance in there come on he married Anna Bush of Sharon Township <laughs> Wa- <laughs> I hate you <laughs> I wasn't paying attention and I missed that but Did now I yesterday get it <laughs> to when I was writing it I don't know why the fuck that's so funny <laughs> Well, I mean, it's sexual, right? Just like the penal system and <laughs> Bush <laughs> and a Bush. And when the penitentiary was erected, yeah, she <laughs> it was definitely erected. <laughs> and a Bush erected in the, in the penal system. In the penal system, <laughs> Anna Bush erected the penal. S- <laughs> okay, so inappropriate. We're basically teenagers.
Oh, New York State isn't in New York? Yes, it is. It's got to be the best state that you've said all day. No, sorry. New York City isn't in New York State, is it? Yes, it is. That's Madness York, map is so weird. New York, New York. Oh, I see. Because Never mind. It goes down. I see it. 